The Perfect Ten. With Steve Allen, voice of the NRL and six-time Radio Award winner. Welcome to another edition of The Perfect Ten, proudly brought to you by Robson Civil Projects and a great friend of mine, Kimberly Green, OAM. Netball superstar, two-time world champion, Commonwealth Games gold medalist in Glasgow in 2014, ANZ Championship Joint MVP 2014, and MVP at the New South Wales Swifts on a couple of occasions. Kimberly also played 74 times for the Australian Netball Diamonds in her stellar career, and is Diamond number 147. And most importantly, Kim is a mother of two, with a son Lennon and a new baby girl James, who's just 10 weeks old. Kimberly's also part of an incredible sporting family. Her dad played for South Sydney in the lower grades, but her mum went to the 1968 Olympic Games in Mexico City. Then her mum goes to Edinburgh, the Commonwealth Games in 1970, and wins two individual gold medals in the 200 and 400 medleys. So incredible sporting DNA in the Green family. As always, The Perfect Ten brought to you by Robson Civil Projects. At the end of the episode, we'll tell you about their brand new school to work program. They want the best and the brightest in 2022 and beyond. Okay, let's get down to business. Kimberly Green, OAM, welcome to The Perfect Ten. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you. And firstly, can we start with your latest arrival, uh, beautiful James. Congratulations to both yourself and Trent. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, um, to be completely honest with you. She's 10 weeks old now and, yeah, just... A cruisy little baby, I must admit. She's um, an absolute dreamboat. Um, not that Lennon wasn't, uh, but, yeah, she's been, I think she knows how chaotic our lives are at the moment and she's just, yeah, done us a solid and decided to be a really, you know, chilled out baby. So that's been really nice. Are you able to say on the air what you just told me a second ago about James? Oh, she's just a chunky little girl. Yeah, she, um, yeah, Len was like I think you know he was built very much like Trent and um I think uh James probably has a little bit more of my body shape than <laughs> than Trent the long and lean um with legs that go for days yeah she you never know but yeah she's um yeah a little bit chunkier and she likes the food and um, loves to sleep so yeah that helps us quite a bit <laughs> yeah well I just said a moment ago too she's absolutely gorgeous I love some of the photos that have been on Instagram so your son named Lennon safe to assume you guys are massive Beatles fans or was it John's solo work that you loved <laughs> um <laughs> no we, we do love the Beatles but um we just really like the name we have for a very long time and um yeah, I guess, you know, it's interesting being in the netball space and obviously in grassroots for such a long time that you see so many names come through the system that you're like, oh, I just kind of want something a little bit different, but not too far out there. But yeah, we really liked that name. And uh, it didn't matter if uh, Len was going to be a boy or a girl. Our first was always going to be called Lennon, yeah. How are you enjoying being a mum and the bonding process? I know when my daughter Talia was born, and she's now 25, but when she was first born, I really struggled. Like, I didn't want to go to work. I wanted to be around as much as possible and be a part of that bonding process. So how are you going and how's Trank coping? Yeah, I mean, um, the the second time round is definitely easier and that's – one thing that we have both found. I think the first time was a rude shock. Uh, you know, it, like 
such a beautiful time in your life. However, it's a very intense time. And especially being both athletes where I guess our career takes precedence our body um our time is just you know you have to almost become quite selfish as a a person to be a good athlete in my opinion um because you're really worrying about everything that you're putting into it into your body how much sleep it's getting and then you know a baby comes along and completely throws it on its head so yeah so I must I must admit the first Valby Land uh, we struggled a little bit in terms of just trying to find our feet with it all and, yeah, just living a completely different life where we couldn't be as independent as what we used to be. But all the right for all the right reasons as well. Um, you know, I look back at that time really fondly as well in the fact that, yeah, like I really take my hat off to a lot of people that are, you know, ha- like able to have children. But also Trent was away quite a bit. He was away doing... Um, summer of cricket and I really shook my head off to people that were doing it alone because that was a really hard time for me in particular just having to juggle everything with a newborn and um yeah still try and find my own feet yeah I must admit it wasn't as easy as what uh the movies make it out to be (laughs) yeah absolutely um you know because it's such a culture shock isn't it and were you lucky enough to have some support while Trent was away yeah, yeah. So my mum lives, my mum and dad live just around the corner. So that's been really nice. But, and as you would know, Steve, like a lot of the time you're trying to figure it out yourself, whether or not it's like the questions late at night, like why are they not sleeping? Or, you know, like, are they, like, what's going on with them? Like, you just don't know. And I'm a pretty structured person and um, I'm very solution based. But when you don't really have a solution, because <laughs> they can't tell you, um, I find that, yeah, I found that quite hard. Yeah, yeah. We found it hard too because all of our family was in Queensland. So we were kind of yeah. crying out for some grandparents to be around. But, yeah, like you said, you know, you find your way and, you know, they're unforgettable times. Hey, um, yeah. I just want to talk about your family because, as we know, I mean, you've got incredible bloodlines. I didn't realise that Green Square in Sydney is named after your granddad. Can you tell us more? Yeah, so named after my great-grandfather. So my dad's grandfather, he um, was a politician around that area at the time and, um, yeah, did some really great things within that space. And, yeah, I think maybe, I can't even remember, maybe I was 12 when they transitioned that area into a new suburb called Green Square. And originally I think it was just to have the train station there, but now it's become quite a a little inner city um, escape where they've got beautiful restaurants and little hotels and um, yeah, it's turned into quite the cool little area. And there was, um, there's actually a, a restaurant called Freddie Greens, which is named after my great grandfather. And they reached out to me to um, come to the opening with the whole family. And it was such a special time for us. And, you know, it was a really great person and did a lot of great things within um uh, politics and the yeah the community there so yeah so that's just a cool little side note but where did it, you find that yeah i think it's on your wikipedia page he, oh gosh i didn't write that by the way he must have been <laughs> an extraordinary man i mean five terms for the new south wales alp in redfern i mean that is just unbelievable to serve that long my my mum and my dad both they don't talk about a whole lot of their upbringing. I don't know what, like, it's just one of those things that we just live in the now. But 
I, from everything that I know, he was such a great man and he did, yeah, a lot of great things. And, I mean, I'm fortunate to, yeah, be a part, a small little part of that legacy that he's left. Yeah. Because of your great-granddad, are you actively involved in politics? No. <laughs> my fa- Mind you, my, fa- my dad is very passionate about politics. Um, my sister and my brother-in-law, very much so. Whereas mum and myself sort of sit on the other side of going, you know, going onto the website and um, trying to figure out who we need to vote for based on what our <laughs> circumstances are. Um, I, I can't remember what the website is, but every year I go on there or whenever we have to vote, I go on there and make sure that I put in everything that, you know, Chen and I are doing at the time and who is best suited for us at the time. Yeah. So whereas, yeah, I think. That's a labour man. Yeah, I've got to admit, I've never been more interested in politics, particularly the last election. But I want to talk about your mum. So Denise Langford competes in 1968 in Mexico City and then Edinburgh, where she wins a couple of gold medals in the toughest events on the program, the 200 and 400 medleys. But can we start with 1968? And what are her recollections or what are her memories of those Olympic Games and what has she passed on to you? Yeah, I think um, you know it was such a special time. She was super young. I think she was, um, I think she was either fourteen or sixteen at the time. I'm trying to do the math in my head, I think she was sixteen. <laughs> but yeah, I think for her, yeah, she was such a baby um, going into an Olympics. And but yeah, it was such a a great time for her. She got to travel, you know, to Mexico and somewhere that she would never have normally been able to travel to. Mum grew up in housing commission, three siblings, not a whole lot um, to their name. So, you know, going and even swimming and paying for swimming lessons was a huge taxing activity on the the family circumstance. So for her to go over to the Olympics at that sort of stage in her life, and, you know, 16, you're still a, yeah, like I said, still a baby and you still want your parents around, but she goes off there by herself and, yeah, does such a great job. I think she got into the final in the Olympics and then came back two years later to the Com Games and started to put her foot down. Unfortunately, lost her dad quite early. He was in his 40s around that time and, you know, living in a um, in housing commission with a not, not a whole lot of money, you know, her mum being at home with the four kids, the circumstances had to change pretty quickly and mum made the decision to retire really early. So, yeah, it's just one of those things that, you know, she was so dedicated and I think that's one thing that she's always instilled in me is whatever I put my name down to do, I have to actually follow through and um, do it at my best ability. And, you know, growing up, I think a lot of people probably saw that as mum being super tough on on us as children. But, you know, at the end of the day, like I look at that and even to this day, whatever I put my name down, I make sure I have to finish it because, yeah, I think that's what, you know, it's the respect that you give to the um, the sport or to the activity or to the people um, around you. And, um, yeah, I've just been really fortunate to have parents that have been in sport and understood the ups and downs and the roller coaster that it can be. But also, hold on a second, you need to also put in um, to get out. So she's a pretty special woman and, uh, yeah, I'm very lucky. I tell you, it's an inspiring story, and I think she does compete in those games like as a 17-year-old, maybe an 18-year-old at the most, and to come away with two gold in those two gruelling races. Uh, the Edinburgh Games as well featured the the great Michael Wendon, who ran the pool beside my high school, Palm Beach Corumbin. Oh. 
there you go. Yeah, so it was a, a different era, but wow, congratulations to her. And have you seen those races? I tried to find them on YouTube this morning and I saw some old footage. I saw Michael Wendon in the 4x100 freestyle relay, but I couldn't see your mum's races. Are they out there somewhere? Do you know what? I think when I went to the Glasgow Commonwealth Games, they were able to find some sort of footage to do like a 40 years uh, in the making kind of type of thing. Like mum went 40 years before me, but I, I'm not, I'm not certain. We, you know, there's not a whole lot of photos. Commonwealth Games actually posted a photo, I reckon last year, of a whole group of women um, standing on stairs. And it was just that I stumbled across this photo and I saw mum in it. And it was just like, yeah, we don't often get to see photos. So when um, things pop up, it's just really nice. It's really lovely to see because she, you know, she's not one to have her medals out. I, you know, I think I've seen them a handful of times in my life. They're often, you know, put away. So, and as a kid growing up, even any trophy that we won often went to the bin because she's not someone to to store things. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just one of those things like she's always said to us, it's not about, you know, the physical presence of whatever you've won or whatever. It's actually, you know, the hard work and dedication to get there. And although, you know, the medals um, are definitely somewhere in the house, they're not on display or that doesn't define her as a person. And yeah, so she's, yeah, pretty special in that sort of way. But um, yeah, trying to find memorabilia and photos has been We've had to dig as children to have a really good look because she would never do that. Herself. Yeah, I, I've still got my first trophy. Uh, it's up in the back shed <laughs> in I the man that. cave. Yeah, the under six soccer team at Broadbeach on the Gold oh Coast. Oh, my God. Hey, I um, love that. Your, uh, your dad played for South Sydney. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so dad played reserve grade for South um, for a lot of his career but then ended up um, moving on at an early age as well, just went into work and um, – all of that sort of stuff. But again, he doesn't often talk about it, but he's a Rabbitohs man and the family are Rabbitohs through and through. And it's quite interesting. My husband's a rooster, even though he comes from Bathurst. <laughs> I have no idea how that works. <laughs> but um, yeah, that local derby often is quite a, an interesting one around the family, um, especially, yeah, because we often watch it together. So yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, he played footy and um, he had a lot of speed and uh, he's a very quiet man. My daddy doesn't have to say a whole lot, but when he does, he listen. And um, yeah, I can. I wish I could find footage of that too. Like, I, I just would love to be able to see them, both of them in their prime. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've had the pleasure of meeting both of them at the netball. And also, uh, I want to talk more about Trent a little later in the podcast, but it's it's all about you and when you're growing up, are you a gifted young athlete? And I know that netball doesn't come on the radar for some time, but what were the sports that you loved growing up? Yeah, I I guess I was lucky enough that, you know, both mum and dad worked really hard. We didn't have everything um, growing up, but they made sure that we were able to play sports. And it wasn't all sports. It was only one or two a year that we could put our name down for. So we had to choose even though I really wanted to do gymnastics, my mother wouldn't let me. Um, she said I was too tall for that because I wasn't tall kid. So she's like, no, that's not what you're doing. But, um, yeah, so I did I did a little bit of swimming. Funnily enough, we weren't ever – mum, you know, put us into uh, – she taught us how to swim, but we did a little bit of swimming lessons. But it wasn't anything um, competitive. None of us really – 
loved swimming, nor did she want to, you know, be around a pool for hours and hours. Is it true that you um, changed her alarm clock so that... Yes. Oh, what a great story that is. Yeah, I used to... Well, one year mum said to me, I said, you know what, I'm going to go and have a crack at swimming just at school. I went into high school. It was high school at the time. Probably year seven. And I was like, you know, I'll have a, give it a crack. Why not? Like, you know, I like I'd kind of gone pretty well um at state previously without any training and i was like oh i'll just put everything into it this year but then i realized you had to get up at like 4 30 a.m 5 a.m to get <laughs> to get to training and i reckon by you know three weeks in i um started changing mum's alarm clock at night yeah <laughs> so, that she, so that she didn't wake up <laughs> so then i didn't have to wake up mind you i was still awake hoping like listening out pray that the alarm clock wasn't going to go off so I'm still awake yeah yeah but yeah so that was one thing that I used to do all the time because I and hated it yeah it's one of the reasons why anyone that makes it in swimming you just take your hat off to them the amount of hard work and dedication well and that was only one I think I was probably only swimming three times a week like these swimmers swim every day twice a day for hours and you know I had my one hour on a Monday Wednesday Friday that I just refused to want to get up for um and I'm an early bird but it was also winter like it's freezing <laughs> and I had to go to school straight after which was like a concrete jungle in itself so the whole day you're freezing I'm like this is not for me like yes. I just don't think swimming for me how many kids in the green family uh, we're, there's four of us. So I've got an older sister, Lauren, who's five years older. I have a younger sister called Shanae and I have a younger brother called Ty. And are they sporty as well? Yeah. Well, my older sister and younger sister both play netball. My younger brother isn't as sporty, but um, he was in the army for 10 years, so physically fit. But yeah, so we've sort of always had sport. I think that's what bonds us together. You know, watching the netball together has been really nice the last couple of seasons after I've retired that I've actually been able to sit down and watch with them. But yeah, I think certainly sport bonds us. I saw an ESPN article and it was really beautifully written about your career. And is it true that as a young girl, your heroes, one was a female track sprinter? And the other was a female basketballer. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So growing up, um, I played basketball. I did athletics. I did little A's. I loved little A's. That was one of my most favourite things to do on a Friday night um, down at St George Little Athletics Club. And uh, for me, I had, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of female role models out there in the sporting world that we were able to see as youngsters. And for me, I never you know, really wanted to play for the Diamonds. Like that wasn't one thing that really um, came across my mind. I, I never really wanted to run for Australia or anything like that. I just wanted to be having fun in sport. And I remember watching the Grand Prix and we went out to a couple of the Grand Prix and I saw Melinda Gaines would run and I just loved what she was about. She was such a strong, powerful athlete, but also after spent a lot of time with the kids and I was one of them that got to get a signature and get photos and I still have those photos and um, she was definitely one person I looked up to as a runner and then um, Michelle Timms as a basketballer I just loved what she was about she was zippy she was fiery she had great ability to see uh, the game two steps ahead I don't know I just loved what she was about and um, yeah so they were the two I guess, role, female role models that I looked up to coming through the sporting ranks. Netball wasn't really seen on TV and nor did we go to netball games as kids. So 
Um, it was just that, you know, I got a couple of opportunities to go out to athletics, the Grand Prix and um, a couple of basketball games to actually see these players and, yeah, just being in complete awe. Yeah, and, you know, I love both of those athletes as well. And there's a lot of Michelle Timms in you in terms of charisma and strutting her stuff when she's out on the court. <laughs> hey, so uh, how do you come on the the Sydney Swifts radar? Yeah, it was an interesting one. I mean, I... Um, at the time, I was I was a hurdler. I had gone through the Little A's ranks and had just transitioned out of Little A's and going into opens in terms of running. And um, that was my main focus. I was going for a World Junior. You have to qualify twice with the time. And I had one under my belt, but I was trying to get my second time. And at the time, I was sort of playing a little bit of netball here and there, just and I didn't play reps for my local association. I went and played basketball instead. And because of that, as we all know, State Age, which is a huge netball three-day tournament, which is like the pinnacle of netball at the age of 15, that was on the same weekend as the Catholic schools nationals. And so all of the players that were playing in this three-day tournament, which they all went to, so they didn't get selected into the Catholic schools team. And I just slid in. I, I had no idea how I got in, but it was one of my first state teams. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, you know, all of these all of the best players essentially had gone off to this association three-day tournament. And, um, yeah, I got to go to Melbourne and play, you know, Catholic school state team, which was just the best. But I played with Julie Fitzgerald's daughter, Vicky, who um, I'm still friends to this day with and yeah I, I played um in the shooting circle with her I was a defender but ended up being in the shooting circle that um tournament we lost every game by about 30 I think um we weren't great but we had the best time and uh, a couple of weeks later I got a phone call um, from Julie Fitzgerald asking me to just come in to be a number at training just to help out with their numbers and just help with match play and I said to mum all right well let's go let's go do it whatever not even thinking <laughs> and you've got to remember again like they were on tv but they weren't visible role models I knew Liz Ellis I knew Kath Cox I knew Selena Gilson because she was from my area but that's the only reason why I knew of her but I went to training and a lot of people asked me, was I nervous? And like, I was nervous to the point of like how I was going to fit in, like with all of these really older athletes and what I was going to talk about. Like that, that was the extent of my nerves, like not going out and actually playing with them. It was just more like, what do I speak to them about? Like, what do I bring up? Like, how was your day? Like, how was work? Do they work? <laughs> like, I think that was more so what I was um, nervous about. And I remember coming off the court um and this is me just being a just a, a a young kid I guess like not even having any fear and that's what I love so much about young kids when they come into the fold into an elite sport sense because they just have zero fear and that's exactly what I had I want I had no expectations to do well um nor did I care because I was just a number like that's what Julie Fitzgerald said I was just going to come in to be a number so I didn't need to impress anyone and I remember coming off the court and I said, oh, mum, how do you think I went? She's like, oh, you were terrible. Oh. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh, really? She's like, yeah, you're nowhere. Your, like, your oh. mum's not coming across too well in this. She's thrown oh. out the trophies. She's you know what? She's honest. She's banned she's you just... from gymnastics. Yeah, I know, <laughs> um, which I'm so grateful for. Um, do you know what? It, but that's, that's the sort of person. I think she knows 
I don't know if she would have done that with my other siblings. Like she knows that I could have taken it and she's like, no, you weren't great. So, you know, I walked away from that, said thank, like, thanks for the opportunity. Jules was like, yeah, yeah, thank you. Like never, I was like, oh, I'm never going to hear from them again. And then the next week, again, get asked to come in and came off the court again. And I said, how do you think I went? And I was like, oh, you're a bit better. Like, <laughs> and I was like, well, that, you know, that's improving. So that's not too bad. Yeah. A couple of weeks later, I was asked to be contracted and I was blown away. Like never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that that was going to be an option for me ever. Yeah. Has Julie ever said what she saw in you in those early days? Uh, yeah, she has. She said that, uh, I guess, my confidence in like not doubting myself at that age or comparing myself or not having any fear was something that she loved about me. I obviously had speed coming from an athletics background and I had a lot of power that she loved. She knew that I was super determined based on my training. But, yeah, otherwise I think she just saw a, a little bit of a spark in me. Yeah, and I don't know if you put it down to that that no fear, which is very, very dumb of me at that <laughs> stage, but somehow it worked. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a- absolutely. And uh, were you playing at wing attack at that stage? Uh, I, I was a wing defence. So I transitioned from goal defence to wing defence and starting to learn my craft there. And, um, yeah, so wing defence was where I was at. And, I, I mean, as much as... Um, you know, I think wing defence is one of the most important positions on the court. I also think there's ways of being able to hide <laughs> in that <laughs> position as well. Just a little bit more than a centre or wing attack where you have to have complete impact or like you haven't done your job. So, yeah, so I think it was a good position to be able to transition into at that stage because I was, I was you know, not as consistent as I probably would have liked to have been. That's a team that I really love. Like when you look back, you mentioned Liz Ellis, Kath Cox, Selena Gilsonen, one of my favourite players of all time. Mm. Ali Broadbent is there. Monia Gerard is also part of that squad. So they're all superstars of the game. Mm. Uh, and I mean, yeah, I came to, you know, learn everyone else that was in the team that became absolute idols not just on the court but off the court as well but you know we had um Jane Auschwager at the time there we had um Sarah Barrett there's so many fantastic Bryony Akel was in that team so yes yeah, so many fantastic players that were in front of me but also teaching me the craft of netball and how you know just as a young kid you just can't outrun people Megan Anderson was in that team so I remember um you know she was one of the fittest and one of the fastest in the team and alongside Selena Gilson and then I, I always thought I was quick and um you know fit but coming up against them I was like gosh I got work to do so yeah. it was really co- a really cool um slap in the face for me to be like you know it's not just for fun and giggles anymore this is like something that these ladies take you know very seriously every day to make sure that they can get up. And once I got a taste of it, I was like, I never want to let it go. Is it is it true you sit on the bench for the first season? And let's not forget, I think I was courtside announcer at the time and I still don't remember you sitting there for a whole season on the bench. Uh, so the first season, I broke my wrist and sat back bench for pretty much the whole year. And then the next year, which I think was 2004, I started to get some court time, but it was only because Bryony Akel rolled her ankle and was out for six weeks. So they started to transition me into that wing defence position and then everyone shifted down 
Selena Gilson was a wing defence at the time and she shifted into centre and Sarah Barrett into wing attack. And yeah, I played played quite a bit that season and then uh, came to the grand final time or finals time. Brian Aik was coming back into the fold and I was sharing half games with her, which is what I was capable of, to be completely honest. I was only capable of half a game at that age. I was still very, very young. Um, mentally not capable of being able to push out for a full game. And I remember going into the grand final and Julie sat me down and said, now I'm going to start you in this grand final. However, you're coming off at halftime. So just give me everything you can for 30 minutes. And I was like, got it. And I can do that. And I just remember, like, those are the conversations that, you know, coaches don't often have with, you know, a 16-year-old to be like, you're going to play for half, that's it. Like, that's all you're getting, so give it your best crack. And it was the best advice because I just went out there and played freely for half an hour and then sat on the sideline and watched the showcase of incredible athletes on display and won a grand final. Like, what the hell? (laughs) It was just the best. And is that the one goal win against the Vixens? It was 2004, but I don't know what we won by. No idea. Hey, uh, I want to talk about 2006 because that's the perfect season for the Sydney Swifts. But first, uh, you mentioned about signing a contract. What was that worth in those early days? Yeah, so it was a $500 sign-on fee. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but do you know what? I didn't even realise we got paid until the end of the season when our manager at the time, Mrs. Troy, was like, did you give them your bank details? And I was like, <laughs> what? Do I have to pay to play? Yeah. She was like, no, you get paid. And I was like, I get paid? She was like, yeah, you get $500. And I was like... So I'd already spent that in my head that yeah. night. But, yeah, so – and then we got paid based on sitting on the bench. You got – everyone was probably a bit different. But what I was paid was $50 on the bench if you got named in the 12. And then for every quarter that you played, you were given $25 on top of that. So you could come <laughs> out ahead of one at 150 a game if you played a full game. Yeah. Um, And you got two pairs of shoes. So, yeah, I mean, for, you know, 16 or 15, 16-year-old, you were like – this is gold. Like I get to play sport for a living and, you know, I get $150 if I play a full, if I'm good enough to play a full game. Yeah. If not, I get my 50 and sit on the sideline. Fantastic. Yeah. Love it. Uh, So let's talk about 2006. So the show's called The Perfect 10 and Mm. we see a perfect performance from a young Susan Prattley, 26 from 26 in the grand final. And I think at the time, You guys were the first team to go through undefeated since St. George back in the 1950s and 60s. Wow. I do, I do remember there was, um, you know, there's quite a few of us around my age now coming through the ranks and we just, um, that was such a great grand final. And, you know, there was a, there was quite a bit of pressure. I remember the pressure of going through a whole season and then finishing it off was really important, but boy, did we have a great team. You know, I think we just had the confidence that everyone was going to be able to get out there and do their job. And and it was a great after party too, can I tell you. Very, very fun. <laughs> Where'd you go? You've got to give us some intel. Um, oh, King's Cross um, was really the only thing that was open late enough for us. But we actually left the trophy there. Um, <laughs> to go back and get it the next the, day. The Proven Summons Trophy. <laughs> Yeah, I think we left it at Dragonfly, one of the clubs there. What a season. Unforgettable. Then you go from the yellow to the red dress. So it becomes the ANZ Championship. And what about that era of netball? What were your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, 
you know, for us, it was now starting to get a little bit more of we had a um, broadcast deal, so players are starting to get paid a little bit more. I think I went from $8,000 in yellow Swifts to $30,000 in red Swifts. So in a year, I upped 22 k and I was like, wow, what do I do with this money? Like, But things started to become a little bit more professional in terms of our hours. You know, we now had stipulations of how many days a week we were training, you know, and it was expected that we were at training every time as opposed to, you know, if you had work commitments or whatever. Uh, generally in, you know, the uh, amateur of Swifts, yellow Swifts at the time, you know, you could miss a few sessions and it'd be okay. But, yeah, going into the ANZ, you're like, no, like, this is now starting to mean a little bit more business and you have to start working work or school or whatever it is around it. And yeah, it was such a great time to be a part of uh, netball. Um, I think, you know, the likes of a Liz Ellis who worked her butt off to make sure that we were in a great financial position going into 2008. She also retired the year before and didn't get to play or not that she didn't get to play. She could have played for a thousand more years if she wanted to, but chose to, to, you know, take that step away from the sport. And I'll just always be forever grateful for that feeling of validation as a as an athlete and I was still so young but I still remember feeling like wow this is something that we could potentially turn into a full-time job and I want to be a part of that so yeah all the hard work that she put in alongside a lot of others yeah I'll just always be forever grateful for that. I, I love the way you talk about Liz Ellis and later in the podcast I'd like to get your best ever seven that you played with but is she just a colossus in the women's game? Yeah. I, I'm i not certain I've played with a player or a leader like her since she had retired. And I remember her calling me um, to let me know that she was retiring and I was devastated because I didn't see it coming because I was such a baby and no idea. But I just remember thinking that, you know, whenever I threw a turnover or whenever we just didn't hit the mark in attack, she always got it back in defence. We were just so blessed that, and I and I do put a lot of of my attacking skills and my ability to see plays ahead of time down to the fact that I could play with freedom because I had defence who were just absolutely boss and could get the ball back. So yeah, I think you know not just on the court but off the court, she's just paved the way for so many and. Um, yeah, she expected the best from you and she was hard as a leader. She was tough as nails, but for all the right reasons. And, yeah, I've got nothing but gratitude towards Liz. Probably leads into us talking about your time with the Australian Netball Diamonds. So I mentioned at the top of the podcast, two-time world netball champion in Singapore in 2011, also in Australia. I never realised you played so many for the Netball Diamonds, 74. I mean, that must have you probably in the upper echelons of appearances for the national team. And what did it mean to pull on that that green and gold dress? Yeah, it was just incredible, um, Steve. I think for me, I never dreamt of playing for Australia, to be honest. Um, I was just, you know, once I got a sniff of domestic netball, I was like, all right the next step up is the diamonds how do I get my my foot in the door and you know I remember going to one of the camps just as again a fill in a number to help out with numbers and got absolutely slammed in fitness in speed in um, skill I was just so far behind the eight ball and I 
that next preseason, I just was like, all right, game on. I've got to get fitter. I need to get faster. And at the end of that 2008 season, I was selected, lucky enough to be selected in the Diamonds. And again, uh, it's another whole another step up. It's another um, complete different dimension playing with players that um, are from different teams and starting seven players of different teams coming together and then, you know, fighting it out to get back on the court, but also represent the country. You know, it's a, it's a very different dynamic. And, yeah, I mean, I was lucky that I could play both wing attack and centre quite well, and that held me in good stead to be selected for, you know, I had that versatility in that midcourt to be able to be selected for especially major tournaments where you have to back up day after day. Um, to be able to play two positions very well was something that, um, you know, was always in my back pocket and yeah I mean playing world cups and com games it was such highlights and to be able to play 74 test matches but also finish up my career in Sydney in front of my family and friends and my hometown was just the ultimate such great fun memories I've got to say 2015 in front of the home fans must have been the absolute highlight of the whole lot yeah, it it really was. It and the great thing about it was that you know we we had every expectation to win uh, that one, and you know, but in the rounds we got we were beaten by New Zealand. So then they became <laughs> the top, you know, where everyone's like, oh, when well, New Zealand are going to win this, and I just remember going into that game feeling just this sense of calm, and we all were so calm because we had been beaten. And yeah, going into that game. And I think we were on like a 21 game winning streak before that loss. So I think, yeah, going into that game, it was just pressure off, just go out and have a good game. And we absolutely aced the first quarter and then cruised for the last three and only won it by three or four goals, I think, in the end. But um, yeah, it was just such a special moment to be able to do it in front of, front of family and friends, but also fans that I had accumulated along the way because we played in Sydney as the Swifts. And yeah, it was just the best feeling. It yeah. was honestly just incredible. Yeah, they're the two big rivalries that you have in your career, aren't they? Queensland Firebirds when you're at the Swifts <laughs> and then Kiwi Ferns at that international level. The matches were just epic and could have gone either way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you know, New Zealand always just right, right on our heels every every moment. And um, England was starting to find their feet as well. You know, we've we've seen international netball really grow now in terms of the players um, coming over to Super Netball and then going back to their their countries and just absolutely dominating. So we were in an era where, you know, New Zealand and Australia were the top two. They were the ones that were going to fight it out for the World Cup. We had England and Jamaica starting to find their way too. So some tough matches to get into that grand final, but, um, yeah, it was a good one to win. If Liz Ellis is the Colossus, who's the player at international level that just blows you away in terms of their talent? Oh, I mean, Serena Guthrie was always one that I was just like, my goodness, like this girl has got got the goods. And I was lucky enough to play with her at Giants. There's, to be honest, there's so many players, but Irene Van Dyke, Laura Langman. Laura Langman is by far the best player that A, I've played with and B, that I've been absolutely slammed against um, <laughs> every time I've played her. So, yeah, I would say Laura. If you're going to put yourself up as a mid-quarter, um, you're going to put yourself up against someone. You know, Laura Langman's the one that's going to tell you if you're any good or not. Yeah, yeah, the benchmark. 
uh, we can't do this podcast without, I guess, stepping through and, you know, I know it's going to be delicate, but that <clears throat> period where you left the Swifts and go to the Giants. And mm. so there was never an offer tabled for a legend of the New South Wales Swifts and that made your decision far easier? Yeah, it was an, it was an interesting time. I think for me... Julie Fitzgerald called me before the season had ended and said, look, I'm going to be the coach of this new New South Wales team. I'd love you to be a part of it, but I know you've got bigger fish to fry with finals coming up. But I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to be the coach. And at the time we had been at the Swifts, we had been in two grand finals. Well, we were going into our second grand final. And I lost the first one and obviously lost the second one as well in extra time, which was just so sad. But I had, I kind of had felt like um, I'd done everything I could. Uh, we had the best of the best players playing in our team and we still couldn't get over the line. And for me, I, I kind of I felt we were a tight bunch, um, really, really close. And going into the grand finals, there were some cracks forming from, you know, outside pressures, coaching pressures, um, high-performance staff pressures. There was a bit of inconsistency going on at Netball New South Wales at the time. And I had just said to my hubby as I was coming home one day, I was like, I'm either going to retire. Uh, I will retire next year. Um, That was my whole plan. And because I kind of felt like I just, there was nothing else to do with that team um, for me. But uh, after that phone call, I came in the door and I said to him, so I think I'm playing for this new team next year. And he was like, what? And I was like, Julie's the coach. And like straight then he knew that that was, yeah, like that was my only way I was going to be, that I would want to play again. And yeah, for me, you know, I, I didn't get offered a contract, but I think they knew straight away that I was going somewhere else anyway. So, yeah, it was like it was a very tricky time, Steve. And yes. obviously a lot of politics come into it and, you know, just like players with pressure, coaches have pressure too. And going into grand finals, and I say this about Julie Fitzgerald all the time, she's the most consistent coach I've ever been under um, in the fact that she doesn't change when pressure starts to form. And that's the kind of person that you want leading you. And, um, yeah, I, I just knew that I started my career with her and I wanted to finish my career with her and give myself every opportunity to yeah, start afresh and find my love of playing again um, under a different coach that, yeah, just, I guess, would be very straight with you and there was no games to be played. You must be extremely proud of helping build that club from the ground up. And we saw on the weekend they went down by one against the Vixens in one of the greatest, mm-hmm. one of the greatest semifinals I think we've ever seen. But can I first ask about Julie Fitzgerald? Is she, is she like a second mum to you? Yeah, she is. And she is to most of her players, which I think says a lot um, about the type of person, A, she is, but also the coach she is. And, and and a mother figure in the fact that she will tell you straight how it is. Like I said, there's no gameplay. There's no manipulating in the background. There's um, She'll tell you straight how she's feeling or what she needs from you or if you've done a great job. And yeah, having someone that is super stable and consistent in your life other than your own family is really important in your workplace. And that's just like anyone, you know, you want to have security. You want to feel like you're, you're needed in some sort of sense or what you're 
what you bring to the table and she always made you feel like you brought something so building a club was always going to be very easy under her any other coach you'd go my goodness this is going to be you know a, a huge task but under Julie Fitzgerald it's easy yeah. And I just remember her saying, I want a New South Wales-based team. Yes, we'll have a couple of internationals, but I want a New South Wales-based team. I want players that aren't asking for the world in terms of dollars because we don't have them, but I want players that want to play for us and want to play for a, a, a club that is building and creating something that, you know, whatever we want to build, like we we can start afresh and never do you get that really rarely do you get that opportunity to build something from the the base the foundations up and I knew straight away that that's something that I needed to be a part of and I said to I remember sitting in her office it, it's so bizarre because um, Netball New South Wales offices obviously Netball New South Wales own both Giants and the Swifts and Julie Fitzgerald's coming into the office sitting down one end Rob Wright's down the other end and players are going in and out. Like, it's just the most awkward position to be a part. And I was working at Netball New South Wales at the time, and I just remember thinking to myself, what other sport has this? <laughs> Where, you know, normally you're keeping it under wraps as to what players you're bringing in, but they're having to come in to have interviews and, you know, contracting meetings and things like that. And, you know, the Swifts coach just think, and there's glass windows everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. I just remember sitting down with it going, okay, well, who are you thinking? Like, let's. Let's talk about who you think. She's like, I've got, I want Pratt. Pratt is also working in Netball New South Wales. So she's going in and out of the meeting rooms as well. <laughs> I want Pratt. I want, um, obviously, yourself. I want Joe Harden. I'm bringing over from Magic. She's coming with me. With her comes Serena Guthrie. I was like, right. And she goes, and Jamie Lee Price. She's a New South Wales kid. I'm bringing her back to New South Wales. Yeah. And I just, I was like, all righty, well, let's do it. Like, you know, you've you already figured out what you want. You know what you want. Like the easy part for me is to, you know, sit alongside you and help you. And I remember she's like, you know, and I want you to be captain. I'm like, no, 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 no. I was about to retire. Like, let's start thinking of the future. And she's like, no, no, no. I need you to be captain and I need you to build the foundations with me. I was like, okay. It's like an episode of Seinfeld or Get Smart, <laughs> like with all this happening under the cone of silence. But uh, Seriously, you, you, it was an absolute shit show. <laughs> Don't mind my language. But like <laughs> sitting in there as a as an employee of Netball New South Wales watching this all unfold was outrageous. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, so it was a very interesting time. Hey, I'm mindful of time here because I know that James is uh, having a sleep. So yeah. <laughs> you, you wind me up whenever you need to. But... You were disappointed you never got to say farewell to the Swiss fans. Yeah, I think, and that's for my own, that's on me because, you know, at the end of the day, I made the decision to move over um, to the Giants. And I think it was more the fact that, you know, being an athlete, you want to always say the right things and um, never throw anyone under the bus. And I think for me, like, it was not, that was not the right place for me to be at the time. And it was really hard for me to be able to, express that to the fans without you know all the rest of that comes with that and I yeah it was it was hard and I think you know a a lot of people are like oh well see ya like thanks for leaving us in the lurch for and I think everyone thought that we were getting paid ridiculous amounts more going to the Giants my contract didn't change it was the same amount of money um the same amount of you know things on the side like everything was the same I actually think I took a bit of a pay cut, actually, because, you know, we're trying to 
entice some of our internationals and that costs money. They have to live in Sydney. Like, so for me, I think it was more, um, you know, like not being able to explain myself completely because I didn't want to do the wrong thing by other people as well. But now looking at it, it is what it is. And I think a lot of those fans moved over to the Giants anyway. So. Yeah. And <laughs> um, you'll be loved forever by both the uh, Swifts members and fans and also the Giants fans for, for what you've delivered to the game. And that resulted in an OAM earlier this year. Congratulations on that. Just you. Just incredible for you. Yeah. And really, you know, blown away. I, I got an email probably late last year saying that I'd been nominated. I was like, sorry, <laughs> who nominates you for these things? Um, but yeah, like just incredibly blown away because I know just how many people put into the sport that we love and grow up from grassroots that never get that opportunity to be recognised. So for me, I was a little bit embarrassed, eh? Um, but yeah, blown away with the fact that, you know, people thought to sit down and, um, go through the process of nominating me was pretty special. And, um, yeah, I was named an OAM and um, I have my ceremony at the back end of this year just because of COVID. Um, they've had to split it all up. But, yeah, I, yeah, I'm blown away. I, I mean, I, it's a, a lovely recognition. Um, but, yeah, also I am very mindful that there's a lot of people that, you know, are sitting hours at netball every weekend to make sure it continues to grow from the grassroots up. And that was a pathway I came through. So, and they never get that recognition. So, yeah, it is what it is. I think I've become my mother in my old age and um, my medal won't be plastered anywhere. <laughs> well, and, ju- just um, don't throw it in the bin. <laughs> I won't throw it in the bin. I'll put it in a safe place somewhere. I, I think um, you'll be there with uh, Cole Lang from North Entrance Surf Club, so my local surf club. He uh, he received an OAM for 60 continuous years of patrolling. He's been yeah. recognised at the national level as well. So See, These are the people I'm talking about, Steve. I got to play netball for a living and loved it. Like, my job is the best job in the world. Like, I got to play netball for a living. But you can't underestimate so, what you've given back to everyone involved in the sport. And yeah. through, through this period, you've also, you also forged an incredibly successful business, which we maybe haven't got time to step through, but that's inspiring as well. I want to ask about your husband, Trent. So mm. it, it looks like a sporting marriage made in heaven. He's <laughs> he's just an outstanding person. And yeah. from my interactions with him, just such a gentleman and, you know, a fantastic sportsman in his own right and now commentator both in cricket and also the Olympics. Yeah, he he's a bit of jack-of-all-trades, um, Trent. He... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, he's just the best. Exactly what you said. He's a true gentleman. Um, he'll take the time for everyone. He's just one of those people that loves sport. He just doesn't love male sport. He's obsessed with female sport. He cannot think of anything better than females being paid the same as what men do. Like, he really is passionate about that space. And, I mean, when we first met, he was playing grade cricket um, and it wasn't long after that we started dating that he was picked up with the New South Wales team and then forged his career really quickly um, at a late age, but forged it really quickly and ended up being a, in the, the test side super quickly. But I think the great thing about Trent is that he just doesn't change. He is who he is and he's a country boy at heart from Bathurst. Um, moved to the the big smoke and, um, yeah, just to be a part of sport. He moved down for cricket and, um, 
yeah, he just he just loves it. But yeah, his media side that he does is just incredible. He got given an opportunity, um, you know, at ABC Grandstand back back in the day, just to do a little bit of calling, and you know, he did hours of free work to to just get his foot in the door, as a lot of people do in this industry. And yeah, from there was given an opportunity with Seven Cricket and uh, forged a little space, a little niche for himself in that touchscreen area and um, analysing the game. And, yeah, now into hosting with uh, the Olympics, but now he'll also do the Commonwealth Games. So, yeah, he's a pretty special person. But what you see on TV, that calm nature that's so passionate about sport is exactly what he's like at home, Um, whether it's uh, watching NFL, NBA, he's got that many fantasy leagues going at the same time he's just yeah he's just a sport nuffy and um super passionate about sport and making sure that like you know he's been very passionate around the netball australia thing at the moment and how he can continue to keep growing the sport and get our sport out of debt and yeah he's also got a very strong business mind finishing his mba at the moment and wants to get into that high performance area whether it's um you know a general manager of a team and he's just yeah once he gets his head into something, he's like head down. Here I go. I'll take. I'll take on the world and yeah, yeah. Make the the sporting world a better place. I could ask you about. I mean, the latest figures have come out this week about Nepal Australia, and you know, there's a mm. lot of work to be done financially. So I don't really want to throw you under the bus. I would like to get your thoughts on the grand final this weekend. So mm. West Coast Fever up against the Melbourne Vixens. But first, can you name before we finish this? Can you name the best seven that you played oh with? Gosh. And you can name some uh, you can name some subs as well. So the interchange bench oh. as well. Okay. I know it's um, going to be tough. Here we go. I mean, you could have told me before because then I would have really thought about it. But Liz <laughs> Ellis would definitely be my goalkeeper. Goal defense. Oh. <laughs> oh my god, this is so hard. Um, probably Julie Coletto. She's pretty darn good. Yeah. Sweeney Gilson would have to be my wing defense. Then my issue in the centre is Laura Langman and Serena Guthrie. They kind of have to both be there. So, <laughs> so one of them sitting on the bench. How do you put one of them on the bench? <laughs> uh, wing attack, oh, Lizzie Watson. She's an absolute jet. I'll throw her in there. Goal attack. Oh, my God. Uh, Pratt's obviously absolute jet there. So, uh, Sherelle McMahon. Um, is another one that I could probably throw in there. That made her very smart. Oh, probably Sherelle <laughs> McMahon for that one. And yeah. then Shooter, I played most of my career with Kath Cox and she was pretty insane. But Katie Quakes was also a, a bit of a legend. So there you go. I've probably named about 20, but that's my study. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like that was agonising. Oh, well, there's just so many, like, you know what, so many players and, uh, like, I've been fortunate enough to play with a vast, major- vast majority of the ones that have played in international, been very, very lucky. So, but, yeah, I, I think my definite is definitely Liz Ellis and Serena Guthrie and um, Laura Langman have to be in there somewhere. Yeah. What about uh, your best friends that you've made out of the game? Yeah, I've got so many, so, so many. And um, What about your tight little crew? Like 
I mean, it always changes. Like you move out of the sport and it sort of shifts as well. Um, you move from team to team and it shifts. But yeah, I've made some beautiful friendships. Um, Taylor Davies is one of my closest mates that I've gone on a little bit of a journey with elite netball with her. Um, Vanessa Ware, Leah Shord, Erin Bell, like they were my close mates. You know, going through the Swift days, we had the best, best, best memories, mostly partying uh, <laughs> after a game. Um, but, yeah, like those are the days. So if you you remember, you know, doing the, the court announcing and just seeing us all rolling and then we just had the best time. From the moment you walk into training or a game and t- by the time it finishes and you're getting ready to go out and party, like it was just the best. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of lots of. Um, Yeah, they were awesome times, no doubt about it. And I guess your kids can now grow up with Vanessa's kids. Has she got three? Yeah, she's got three. I spoke to Nessie yesterday and um, we have a barbecue coming up in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, she's got two boys and a girl and obviously we've got the boy and the girl. And, you know, Erin Bell has a boy now. Leah Short has two boys. So, yeah, like it's just a beautiful time where, you know, your whole life completely gets turned on its head with children. Um, however, you then start to find your feet again with people that, you know, you haven't connected as much as what you would have liked to um, in a completely different space. So it's great that it comes full circle. And, um, yeah, I'm just grateful that, you know, I've got some really great people in my life, not just netball friends, but friends that have children and friends that don't have children that, um, yeah, are just really supportive. Yeah. Okay, grand final uh, in the West. In, mm. fact, in fact, I was in Perth on the weekend for the uh, State of Origin 2, which was uh, one of the greatest origins I've ever been to. And wow. so they host uh, the Melbourne Vixens. Who wins? Mm. Uh, Fever for me. I think they're, you know, 25 years since they've won a premiership. And I think it's all going their way. And I think, you know, they've played some inconsistent netball this season, but they're finding their feet at the back end. And I really think that Dan Ryan has done some great work with them. And I love watching them play for the first time in years. It's not just a, you know, hope for the best and throw the ball up in the edge to Janil Fowler. I think they're really starting to, you know, get some um, really great structures out the front and um, their structures in defence are insane. So, yeah, I love watching them play this season. I think they're going to go all the way. Yeah. Okay, I think I've taken up enough of your valuable time. I'm uh, giving you a little standing ovation in the in the man cave, otherwise known as the Perfect Ten Studios. It's been a it's been an absolute joy to watch you come through as a young lady and then become a mother, uh, which is, I guess, the most important role that we all have, isn't it? Raising a family. Uh, congratulations on everything you've achieved. You've been a real hero of mine and thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, thanks, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. Kimberly Green, OAM on the Perfect 10, netball legend, nowadays commentator, a mother of two, and what a career. 17 years at the highest level, 74 caps for the Netball Diamonds. And I've got to say, I was privileged to have a front row seat as the courtside announcer for both the Swifts and the Giants for the entirety of Kimberley's career. The show brought to you by Robson Civil Projects. Right now, let's go to Chris Dixon, the manager for business, development, and also marketing. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. And can you tell us about the new school-to-work program at Robson Civil Projects? 
Well, look, it's um, it's in its infancy, but um, we're you know we will quickly gain some momentum, and that the idea is to um, get into the high schools in the, in their senior years as early as we can and promote the industry, the civil construction industry, and and where they can find us and where they can find what they do next, whether it be uni or apprenticeships or traineeships, and we will guide them through that process. Yeah, well, I was at Central Coast Grammar School recently, and there were some students in year 11 that were like a mass whiz, for example. And when you asked them what they were planning on doing in the future, civil construction was definitely on their radar. So you'd be surprised how many kids are thinking along these lines. Yeah, look, it, it doesn't surprise me. My, my own son, who's 15 you know he he's a, a fairly bright kid in the in the maths world and he's often said that he might look at an engineering type qualification when he's older and if any of them have got you know they listen to the news or they you know social media or the, and the like they'll see that the amount of money that's being spent on infrastructure and civil construction at the moment it, and it's going to keep happening um, they'd be mad not to have a look and have a crack at it because there's a real future there. Yeah, so if any families are listening and any maybe HSC students, Year 11 students, what's the best way to go about it in terms of reaching out to Robson Civil Projects? Yeah, well, look, I mean, there's a couple of ways. They could always just drop in up at our Summersby head office. They could ring us on 02434361000 or 6100, sorry, or they can uh, get in touch at info at robsoncivil.com.au you know, we'll look to uh, always engage with, with those that uh, are prepared to, to put themselves out there and, and want to know a bit more about the industry and what we do. Yeah, and that also extends to university students as well. Is that correct? Definitely. We've got, we've got an undergraduate program where we, uh, we spend time with the universities identifying particular students and then we give them, they have to do a certain amount of days per year as in, in their degree. And as they get towards their the end of the degree in their sort of third and fourth year that sort of ramps up so they're doing a lot of practical work uh, in the workplace and we, we put them out on sites or in with our estimating teams and they they get paid for their time we, we don't not pay them it's um they've got a they've got a certain amount of value to add and, and we recognize that with payment so yeah that undergraduate program is something that we're we're really starting to ramp up as well as we move towards the end of the year because we want them they have a three-month break, most uni students, over Christmas, and we want them working for us over that period. Yeah, so what a way to get some of the best and brightest on board from a young age. Hey, Chris, uh, we've got to talk about this. I've seen photos of the 60th anniversary birthday cake, and just incredible that a business that started back in 1962 is flourishing in 2022, and congratulations to the entire team. Yeah, thanks, Steve. It really is a, it's a wonderful achievement for the family. Uh, you know, fourth generation business built on the Robson family values and, and, and trust and everything that goes along with that. And, you know, everyone's included. There's there's not no one in the business has missed out on this celebration. We've um, we've handed out some gift packs. We obviously had the, the uh, ceremony yesterday with the cutting of the cake with Peter Grant and Mark Robson uh, and the management team involved. And it really is a family affair. And the business keeps going from strength to strength. Yeah, awesome to have you on the podcast. Enjoy your little getaway down in Melbourne and we'll catch you soon. Thanks, Steve. Talk soon. Thank you. Chris Dixon from Robson Civil Projects, the manager for business development and also marketing and a pleasure to have him back on the show and congratulations again to the entire Robson Civil Projects team on celebrating 60 amazing years. Hope you enjoyed this edition. We'll catch you again soon 
on The Perfect 10. Thank you.